Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. I have this project at the house that needed fixing. I had this project at the house that needed fixing. And uh, I'm really not that good at those type of things. What are those type of things? Repair, <laughs> maintenance things. Uh, let me change that. Uh, I'm okay with certain things, repairing certain things. Uh, water, however, plumbing, however, is not one of them. And should there be anybody who might otherwise out there have had a project around the house that included water, uh, some element of leakage, uh, and uh, wanting to repair it, and tried to do it yourself, <laughs> you probably know where I'm going with the story. It was a mess. Now, to my credit, <laughs> I try to think things through. To my credit, I'm fully consciously aware and willing to admit I'm horrible at plumbing <laughs> and water things at the house when it comes to repair and maintenance. Uh, but I have also this friend who's a little bit better at it. Uh, actually, it's something he does for a living. Um, <laughs> so he's much better at it. And I call him up and I said, you know, this is what's going on. I don't know that I could do this. You know me. You know my experiences with plumbing. Uh, what do you think? And he says, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> he said, even if something goes wrong, we can always fix it. That was the mistake. Because <laughs> I believed him. It's not that I don't believe that there's anything that's beyond repair or beyond fix. It's just what you have to go through to get there. And certainly there's a, de a degree of extent to which uh, you may or may not have the resources. <sighs> Time, patience, <laughs> sanity, self-esteem, worth, value. This thing goes deep uh, to do it. Psychology Today, April of 2022, why it's sometimes okay to hate your partner. Having mixed feelings towards one's partner could help strengthen a relationship. Feeling intense dislike toward one's partner, even for a moment, can spark feelings of guilt. But perhaps it shouldn't, new research suggests. In fact, holding both positive and negative feelings toward a partner, even unconscious ones, could motivate people to change their relationship for the better. Researchers assessed 224 newlywed couples' relationship satisfaction, severity of current marital problems, and how motivated they were to address those issues. They also measured implicit ambivalence, or the degree to which participants held both strong negative and strong positive feelings about their partner at an unconscious level. Participants who displayed higher implicit ambivalence were more motivated to work on the relationship, which in turn predicted less severe problems at follow-up as well, greater satisfaction 
for both partners. In other words, feeling both positively and negatively toward a partner inspired participants to work on their marriage, and the effort paid off. We humans have a psychological need for our beliefs to be consistent, the authors note. When they aren't, the resulting discomfort often pushes us to take action. Rather than being distressed over conflicting feelings, then, it may be more effective to simply acknowledge them and perhaps even leverage them to help build better relationships. David Ludden, Ph.D., again, Psychology Today, April of 2022, why it's sometimes okay to hate your partner. Having mixed feelings towards one's partner could help strengthen a relationship. So what does this have to do with plumbing and uh, my awful, horrible nightmare? There was water everywhere. It did get fixed, by the way. Because when you're doing relationship counseling, you have to begin with the general premise. And that premise is that it works, but it's not perfect. People aren't perfect. Life isn't perfect. And supposing then how you measure perfection may also speak to the degree of which or degree to which or of which you might be satisfied. Uh, there is pain attached to everything in life. Uh, some of it greater, some of it lesser. Uh, and even as with my example at the beginning of today's podcast, certain pain in a more just general way, superficial way, material sort of way. Material is then moving more towards the personal, intimate, psychological, maybe even somewhat spiritual <laughs> dimensions. That type of pain is a little harder or more difficult to overcome. Generally speaking, I agree with my friend, who is the plumber. <laughs> there is nothing that can't be fixed. It may take a while, and even collateral damage can, and I will attest to that, be repaired by someone who is either completely <laughs> incapable, a buffoon, <laughs> it's me. When it comes to plumbing, uh, the plumber could come in, the person who otherwise puts up the drywall and <laughs> repairs the ceilings. They can come in and they can eventually get it fixed. I can assist most people in a very practical, material, superficial, really it is relational sort of way to come up with a way to repair or to fix the relationship. Except when it gets to the more psychological, spiritual dimensions. And though that's my specialty, and I am not so much the buffoon in terms of the psychological counseling, I can't repair something, though, that someone has already come to the conclusion can't be repaired. It would be a sad thing to say that some people come to that conclusion that they are not good at relationships. That sounds awful. 
it probably is even worse to say that there's some people that have come to the conclusion that they're not capable of love. <laughs> that sounds awful. I don't know that when you mention love in regards to such things as relationships, as regard in regards to such things as those kind of personal identity components, dimensions of who I am as a person, my value, my worth, <laughs> my self-esteem, my self-esteem was compromised. But that type of pain is more difficult to address. And with that, if a person has historically had difficulties with love, and love is one of those things that tends to be done best in context of relationships, and even if we're talking about self-love, which we will be here in a moment, self-love is built or established upon prior experiences. What are those experiences? Do people love you? How do you know they love you? <laughs> because they bring you pleasure as opposed to pain. Or if there is pain, the pain is part of growing and forming and developing not only the relationship itself with this other person or other persons, but how to go about relationships. How to be healthy to overcome the pain. As the article was suggesting, the pain indicates that we need to work on some things. And again, the working on things, anything can be repaired, is usually not the problem. The problem is, do you have confidence? The problem is, what's your prior experiences with love? The problem is, have you come to a place where you believe you're so awful at it, so terrible at it, that you're beginning to, in a self-fulfilling sort of manner or way, expect it to always fail. That is much more difficult to overcome. Certainly there's a power that needs to be found inside the individual to believe. One, anything and everything can be fixed, including themselves. But generally, to get to the point of repairing more the spiritual, psychological elements of a relationship so that you can then move on to the more pragmatic and should I say simpler and easier fixes, a person has to feel safe and secure. They have to understand what love is. They have to see love not only in the dimension of pleasure, which if their experiences with love and relationships growing up throughout their life has been littered with a lot of pain, hurt, rejection, betrayal, um, <laughs> trust issues, being deceived, being manipulated, being abused, all of that probably abuse, some degree more, some degree less, it's hard to convince them. But that's necessary because I'll never take on another plumbing project again unless my friend's there. And I don't want to make light of this, but it's got to be seen in such a practical way or we'll miss the whole point. I can, with proper support and help, 
and with maybe a bit more training, I could become probably pretty good at just about anything. I don't know that I'll be as good as somebody who seems to have some innate, implicit sort of predisposition, uh, potential, uh, <laughs> aptitude even. But when it comes to love, I think we're all more or less innately predisposed as with that, within that social creature sort of dimension of humanity to do love. And yes, you have to learn some of those skills, but generally speaking, what I run into once more is that somebody has come along and stolen that from an individual, if I could put it that way, through the pain, through the harm, through the lying, the mistrust, through the poor <laughs> models of, of how to love, examples, uh, when you grow up, when you are a child, it's those people around you that teach you, show you uh, through that sort of experiential learning, modeling uh, what good relationships are. And coinciding with formation of your identity, that can really get into your head. And unfortunately, even override your heart. And whatever natural capacity, whatever might be organically or most naturally there for us to be pro-social, for us to be able to empathize, for us to be able to assume other person's perspectives, all part of good relationships, for us to enjoy the fullness of a loving relationship emotionally, psychologically, which includes intellectually, and also physically. One has to have some experience with that, hopefully to facilitate, but definitely if you've been hurt enough, you might give up on love. Those are the individuals that are very, very difficult when it comes to marital relationships to help. We're going to take a moment, remind you that you're listening to Word with Dave Clay. So how do we do that? I have to assess. Not only have to assess what their models were, not only do I have to begin to sort of educate and inform the simpler things of skill sets, skill building, uh, assertive communication, empathy, once more empathy, perspective taking. Uh, I can even let them know that it's in them to love. And once I make that appraisal or assessment, I begin to suggest real simple fixes and corrections. And when, as working together, usually the three of us stumble upon that first moment instance in at least my being part of the relationship, participating in the relationship, we discover, oh, it isn't just about that. That, again, is pretty common sense. What it's about is hurt, pain. That type of pain takes a lot, again, of support, nurturance to overcome. And generally, that's what I offer that isn't typically available 
unless someone would come see me, they can see others. There's others that probably are in roles that can support that. But it's, pro it's generally not. It certainly isn't likely to be the primary family, the nuclear family. Uh, extend that to first and second generation. Because these type of things, as much as, again, modeling, I mentioned earlier, and learning, and uh, when you're a child, you, you are exposed and experience what relationships are, at least by whatever definition, whatever relationships have come to be defined by in your family of origin, as we like to call it psychologically. That's all socialization. But socialization, if something doesn't come along to introduce some better way to offer some means to look at that objectively, to look at that from outside of the individual or the family constellation, again, extend that first or second generation, it's probably not going to change. We learn it so well that we're also inclined to go out and find individuals who grew up in similar circumstances, which makes a lot of sense too because there needs to be at least some rapport, some compatibility. What we've come to identify as love may not always be healthy or what might be associated with this great desire to enjoy the fullness of a loving relationship with someone else in a significant manner or with a significant other, it's kind of gotten attached. At least some things have gotten attached to it that probably aren't healthy. And if not identified as unhealthy, are going to run the risk of tapping into all of this mother load, if I could call it that, of past failure, lack of success. And if you don't like that idea of calling it a failure, then it's not optimal. It's not ideal. It's really not adaptive because generally speaking, when you get into creating more of the pain, as with having experienced that, reliving that, finding someone else who sort of understands it, unfortunately, to your great and their great disadvantage in such terms, you're going to just create more of it. It's just going to seemingly support the notion that you are a failure. <laughs> that, that you can't find love. And nobody wants to be reminded of that. One of the strongest, most powerful messages that I can bring to a couple who's come to see me for this type of relationship counseling is we have to assume some positive intention. Genuine positive regard. That too is kind of the basis of most rapport building when it comes to the skill set of psychology. A rapport building as in relationship building, as in I really don't get permission to help until you can trust me, until I can show you that it's safe and secure, and that I can prove to you that I am reliable, consistent in that, that I'm not judgmental, 
that I am more than just neutral, I'm marvelously neutral. I don't have the same bias that everyone else has when it comes to that type of a relationship. And yes, you don't have to worry about my feelings in it. And that's going to take a lot of pressure off of you. But at the same time, it's not just about worrying about my feelings. You can receive that without being worried that in my own sort of defensiveness that might come from my own sort of feeling of inadequacy and failure, <laughs> I'm safely and again securely beyond that. I don't need your affirmation or desire affirmation. I want to give and I'm pretty generous I'm without much corruption when it comes to that. Carl Rogers came up with the notion of genuine positive regard. I mentioned that earlier. But when it comes to that type of therapy, that's all it's about. It's just demonstrating unconditional love. That sounds sort of not what you want when you go to see a therapist if you get hung up too much in the love part. But if you see it without the risk of someone wanting something and then would do whatever they would do out of manipulation to get what they want, or that they're not going to be defensive if for whatever reason they did have those expectations, they knew what to do with them, <laughs> and they put them way, 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 way out the, that door. It's not even inside the therapy room. Because it's not part of the therapeutic process. But if I can say that, I can also then say this. But that's the trouble with relationships that aren't within the, I guess, the safety zone, um, the security zone of your psychological counselor in you. I think of you positively. I can affirm you. I can be empathetic. I can model all those things that probably we would hoped, have hoped, probably hoped that your parents would have done, but didn't do for whatever reason. Good intent, bad intent, lack of resource, lack of availability, their problems, <laughs> their own mother and father's problems, their mother and father's problems, again, generationally speaking. But that's really what allows what I do and what that seems to create to work. Because if we can create that environment in the counseling session, the psychological counseling session, the psychotherapy session, then we can begin to practice that. And not only can we then go over the skill sets, the real basic sort of things that are necessary to fix the problem in that superficial sort of way. But we can then offer that kind of experience, empirical experience, empiricism in the counseling session. And though it won't be perfect in all of this pain dimension, 
as the article put it, as hate. I don't know that. That's a strong word. But even if you've fallen into such the trap, that can be fixed. It just takes a lot of proving and reproving and assurance and affirmation and, and a really deliberate presentation of, I care for you. You can be a healthy person. You have it in you to love others. It's naturally in you. It's part of, again, your pro-social human, pro-social nature. You can learn the skill sets. You just have to, if you're learning to love that other person, you have to learn to love yourself. That's where people don't really, I guess, get it when they come to see me. Initially, they don't love themselves. And with that, they're hypersensitive, hypervigilant, maybe rightfully so. They're expecting, because rightfully so, because of all their past experiences, as we've noted them in the podcast today, they are not expecting good outcomes. And sometimes, not all the time, they don't even believe me. <laughs> you get paid to say this. Well, that's true. <laughs> but I can be genuine. Again, genuine positive regard. I can be authentic in that. <laughs> even though I know where to put my feelings so that they don't corrupt you or get in the way of my helping you and removing me. But I know what feelings are. <laughs> and who would you want to go see that you didn't have confidence, knew how to do the job? <laughs> Don't hire me as your plumber. <laughs> I'm not going to do that well. Hire my friend. I'm getting better, by the way. But you can hire me, so to speak, as a psychological counselor because I'm trained in relationship counseling. I'm trained in systemic which just means families or systems. <laughs> it takes two to make a system. Your extended family are part of that system. Your social network becomes aspect or dimension of that system. I know how the parts move. I know how the parts relate. I know what is functionally the most adaptive and healthy means to relate to all the parts and have all the parts relate to you and seeing it most systemically, globally, how the, all the parts should interrelate. <laughs> we can see where the breakdowns are occurring. We could see where we need to apply some additional effort. But you have to want to do that. That, in no way, attempting to invalidate or minimize the struggle is the most difficult aspect of relationship counseling. People hate themselves. <laughs> but even as the article suggested, that's not bad. It just lets you know that pain <laughs> that kind of goes with it lets you know something needs repaired. Something needs fixed. If you see water coming through the ceiling, there's probably a leaky pipe. But that may be all it is. The house may not be worthless. You're not necessarily worthless simply because you don't know how to get in there and fix it and 
patch it all back up and make it not only look as good as new, but maybe better in some ways. But you have to be brave. You have to be courageous. But you have to assume genuine positive regard towards yourself. As much as I would model that and example that, that's what we create, an environment of love and mutual support and things like respect. And with that honesty and truthfulness, but stated within the context of wanting things to get better, hope, optimism. And if the individuals will trust me enough to believe individually, and then with that as they might and can, as a couple, I can help them. So, David Ludden, Ph.D., why it's sometimes okay to hate your partner, having mixed feelings towards one's partner could help strengthen a relationship? Absolutely. I agree. Psychology Today, April of 2022. And if you (laughs) give me permission, I also agree with the idea that I want to help you. And if you find the podcast beneficial and helpful, I want to invite you back. After all, we have a relationship. And, you know, maybe in that same loving sort of way, I'm just kind of sharing the love, as they say. So, please join me again for the next podcast of Word with Dave Clay. And until then, good health and good mental health.